If you'll remain standing, our text this morning will come from Psalm 119. And no, it won't be the whole chapter. Just the first eight verses. Psalm 119 says this, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. May the Lord add his blessing to his reading of his word. You may be seated. The word of God is powerful. The Word of God is sufficient. It's truth. In it is the power of salvation. Paul writes in Romans chapter 10, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will we call, they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Then he goes on to say, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So we see Psalm 119 is an exhortation of the magnificence and perfection of God's word. It is a call to all who read it to immerse ourselves in it. And the author of it is not really known, although a lot of old scholars say David, some say maybe Ezra. But what we do know by the reading of it is that the author put a high priority on the Word of God, referring to Scripture in terms as the law, testimonies, precepts, statutes, Commandments, judgments, the word, and ordinances. And along with these terms, he also uses symbolic terms as in verse 105. It says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. The word of God is to be the light to our feet, meaning we are to walk by the light of God's word, not by man's wisdom. The writer of this psalm has a definite love and undeniable desire for the Word of God, and it shows with every line. And it almost begs the question, can you truly love God? Can you truly love His Son, Jesus Christ, if you don't have any desire to know Him? And how can we know Him? He's given us His Word that we can read and meditate on. And what a word it is. It's this word of God that we hold in our hands or maybe you have an app on your phone. 
It gives us comfort in times of suffering. The Word of God teaches us how to express our, our gratitude and joy for what God has done. When we don't know how to pray, the Word of God teaches us how to approach the throne of God. The Word of God sustains us through trials and triumphs, and it satisfies. When Christ was tempted by Satan in the wilderness to turn rocks in, into food, Christ responded by quoting Scripture, Deuteronomy 8.3, Man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. The word of God is truth. It is a standard by which all truth is judged. In a world where truth is relative or in some cases non-existent, the Bible makes clear what God has deemed to be the truth, and so we must read it, meditate on it, study it, and most importantly, we must obey the truth of God's word. Thomas Watson states that we are to receive nothing for truth, but what is agreeable to the word. In other words, whatever the world may try to teach us as truth, if it goes against the principles and tenets of Scripture, it's not the truth. The 1689 Baptist Confession puts it this way, that the Bible is the supreme judge for deciding all religious controversies and for evaluating all decrees of councils, opinions of ancient writers, human teachings, and individual interpretations and in whose judgments we are to rest is nothing but the holy scripture delivered by the spirit. In this scripture, our faith finds its final word. This scripture that we hold in our hands is light for us. And though we walk in a world full of sin and darkness, we have all we need in this word. As Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. R.C. Sproul says, the scriptures reveal the mind of God himself through the agency of the Holy Spirit, who is called the spirit of truth. We cannot love God at all if we do not love his truth. And so I would say it was rather important, as, as the psalmist points out in this, this passage, that those who want to be happy, those who want to be blameless, those who want to walk in the ways of the Lord must know what the word of God says. And if we cannot love God at all, we cannot love God at all if we do not love his truth. And why wouldn't we love God? His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted us to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. We can only know who God is. We can only understand who God is. We can only comprehend what he wants our lives to be like if we're studying his word. And so look at verse 1 back here in Psalm 119. It says, Blessed are those 
whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. These eight verses start off with, blessed or happy are those who are blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Now, if you look at the world today, the last thing one might come away with is there is no happiness, real happiness, no joy. There's only unhappiness and unruliness. There's chaos all around us. And if you read through Psalm 119, you see that the writer is living in the same kind of world we live in now. They're perilous times. But he writes, blessed are those whose way is blameless. And that brings up an interesting, interesting question. Who among those living on earth can say this about themselves? This idea of being blameless or perfect, which is the proper meaning of the, the original word here, describes those who sincerely believe what God has spoken religiously observe all the rules and ceremonies of his religion and have their lives and hearts regulated by the spirit of love, fear, and obedience. Now, you might think this is quite a mountain to climb. I mean, who can attain that kind of perfection? And truly, the only way we can even come close to reaching the summit of such a mountain is to walk in the law of the Lord. And the answer to who can do this, of course, is no one has ever done it perfectly except for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So how can we begin to do these things? I mean, we have the Word of God. It teaches us that we are going to be happy if we're blameless, if we walk in the law of the Lord. How can we begin to do that? Well, first we have to know the law or the Word. And to know the word, we must be a child of God. You must be born again. And why do I say that? Well, because the Bible says in Daniel 2.22 that God alone reveals deep and hidden things. If we are not in Christ, we can't know the deep and hidden things. If we are not regulated by the spirit of love and truth, we can't understand those things. Psalm 25, 14 says, The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him, and He makes known to them His covenant. Again, only those who have an intimate relationship with God can know and understand what the Bible says, let alone do what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 1, 21, For since the, in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Just like in Romans chapter 10, how are people going to know the, the Lord? How are they going to hear the gospel unless somebody goes and preach? And how are they going to preach unless they know the word of God? It is through his word that salvation comes. So God reveals himself through his word to those who love and honor him. The problem is that those without Christ have no desire to acknowledge God. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. See, unbelievers, and this was all of us at one point, suppress the truth. And only God can break through this wall of suppression and save. But now... 
We as believers have the wisdom from above. The word of God has opened up to us and we can now begin to understand it. And the more we begin to understand the word, the more our lives reflect the joy of knowing we have been saved from this wicked world. We are not mere converts to a religious sect. We are sons and daughters of the living God. Through Christ, we are joint heirs of the kingdom. So yes, blessed are those whose way is blameless. But it's not by our own works. It's only through Christ who died for us. It is no longer I who lives, but what? Christ who lives in me. So we have a new understanding of who God is. Why? Because we can open his word and not just read it, but understand it and become obedient to its commands. And that gives us joy and happiness. Look at verse 2 and 3. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. How are we to do these things? Blessed or happy are those who keep his testimonies. Again, if we are walking according to his word, that is habitually leaning not on our own understanding, but on him who gives us knowledge and wisdom. The more we walk in this manner, trusting in him, the more we will be able to keep his testimonies. But we have to know what those precepts, what the law is, the word of God says. 1 John 3, 7 through 10 says, Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So if we're, if we're going to keep on sinning, if we're, we say we're born again and we keep sinning, we keep habitually going back to the same thing, as Proverbs says, we, like a dog returning to his vomit. We have to really check ourselves whether or not we're born again. And it's pretty, and John makes it pretty clear that whoever practices righteousness is of God. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Let's look at what uh, Jesus said in John chapter 8. Turn over with me to John chapter 8. Verse 34. Now Jesus is talking to some of the Jews... And they were arguing that they were the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Verse 34, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. 
The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham. Yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Jesus said that the difference between those who are spiritually alive and those who are dead is this. Whose authority are you living under? If you practice sin, you are a slave to sin. What is the characteristic he he shows them of being a slave to sin? His word is not in you. But if the Son sets you free, if the Son sets you free from sin, you are no longer a slave to sin, but you live your life under the authority of the blood of Christ, shed for you so that you can be free and able to walk in Christ. You will begin to seek him with all your heart, as the psalmist says. You will be able to keep your, his testimonies. You will, begin to, you, will be, you will begin to acknowledge your sin and live a life of repentance. And in verse 4, the psalmist kind of turns the corner. He says, you have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. The writer here understands that we have been commanded to keep the precepts of the Lord. See, verses 1 through 3 teach us how to be happy, how to have joy in, in, in Christ. Blessed are those who are blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord, who keep his testimonies, who seek them with their heart. Seek him with their whole heart, who do no wrong but walk in his ways. And we must do these things. Why? Because God has commanded us to keep his commandments diligently. Matthew Henry says that to keep his commands diligently is to own ourselves under the highest obligations to walk in God's law. In other words, it must supersede everything else that we do. We must, when we come to understand what God's will for us is, what he expects of us in our daily lives, that is the standard that he expects us to be. The Bible says, be holy just as I am holy. And so we own ourselves under the highest obligations to walk in God's law. We are to make it our business to know and obey what the word of God says. Deuteronomy 6.17 says, You shall diligently keep the commandments of the law, Lord your God, and his testimonies, his statutes, which he has commanded you. Jesus said in John 14, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. How do we show the love of God? How do we show that we know and understand salvation and and love the Lord and love Christ by keeping his commandments? Jesus goes on to say, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And so we must understand, however, that it is not us 
but who we are in Christ that allows us to even think about keeping the commands of God's word. And the writer acknowledges he, he falls short. Look at verse 5 through 8. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame. Having my eyes fixed on all your commandments, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. In other words, I know I can't do this on my own. He, he's crying out to God. I know I fall short. And Lord, I'm here to say I need you. If only I could be stable and firm in my stance enough to keep your statutes. And I'm paraphrasing here, but it's almost like I wouldn't feel the shame of my sin. Because I wouldn't be looking to myself, but my eyes would be fixed on you at all times. And all that you have commanded me to do. And listen, maybe, maybe you hear and you relate to that made a profession of faith, you've been baptized, still you're just having a hard time letting Christ completely rule in your heart and in your mind. And all that does is make it more difficult to overcome some sins that are lingering. And you know you shouldn't be doing them, yet you persist in them. You can't take your eyes off certain earthly things so that you can fully enjoy the love of Christ. We all go through seasons like this where we struggle. The apostles struggle. And Peter denied Christ three times. Thomas doubted. Even Paul had his moments. He understood that, yes, Christ ruled in his heart and in his mind, but living in a sinful world that entices it at every turn is hard. He says, In Romans chapter 7, for I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not Do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. And there it is, the word of God. Paul is echoing the psalmist here, saying, look, I know the word of God. I believe what it says and understand that the law is there to remind me of my sin. But in verse 23, he says this, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And this is not a fun place to be, right? We know what's right. We know what the Bible says. Yet we struggle with sin. James 1, 14, 15 says, 
everyone is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Now there's a handful of well-known speakers who, who like to make a living off of telling people if they just have enough faith, all it, everything's good. That the Christian life is easy. If you have it hard, you're doing it wrong. But Jesus said things like, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. You will be persecuted. You will be hated for my name's sake. Christian life isn't easy. But we have Christ whose yoke is easy. We will fall under his guidance, under his authority. Our lives, though they may be hard, will have peace, will have comfort. We find that in God's word. I mean, if you've listened to Casey the last few weeks, what have we heard? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I mean, just look at the people that he's listing. The poor in spirit, the meek, people who don't go after the riches of this world, but instead hunger and thirst for righteousness. People who are merciful, People who are pure in heart and are peacemakers. These are not the kind of people that the world looks at as movers and shakers. In fact, they, they would say the opposite of that. That we as believers who, live our, who try to live our lives upon the commands of God, as this psalmist says, They do no wrong. They walk in the law of the Lord. They're blameless. They keep his testimonies. Anyone who's going to try and and live their lives in that manner, and we should all be doing that. We should all be pressing towards that goal. We're not going to be looked at as movers and shakers. But if you begin to live your life according to Christ's commandments. You will shake up the lives of those around you. And they will either move towards Christ or blaspheme his name and hate you even more. Some of you have experienced that yourselves in your own families, maybe. But either way, it is you who will find peace and comfort in Christ because your reward is not here on earth, but in the kingdom of God. So how can we become 
more stable? How can we learn to do these things? Look back in verse 7. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. John Knott said in his commentary on Jeremiah 23, 29, he says, The word of God is like a hammer that shatters the rock of our resistance and a fire that consumes our resistance. This is why people hate hearing the word of God so much because it convicts them. It it teaches them that they're wrong, that they're living life wrong, and that there is a solid truth that we can live by. And they hate that. They want their own truth. They want to suppress the truth of God's word, and they want their own truth to be true. But the word of God is like a hammer that shatters the rock of our resistance and a fire that consumes our resistance. And when we begin to desire the word of God, it allows and allow it to consume us, it hammers away at our resistance. It hammers away at any resistance we might have towards his commandments. And some of his commandments are hard. I mean, take up your cross. Come on. It's hard. We want things for ourselves. We want things to be our way. Christ says, follow me. And so the Bible hammers away at our resistance to his commands and it begins to burn off the desires of the world and refine us and purify our hearts. We must be in the word. We need it. We can't live and worship God without it. And when we learn to do it, when we learn it, we have to do it. Psalmist says, oh, if my ways were more stable, how? Learn the word of God and do the word of God. We all know James 1.22, be doers of the word of God and not just hearers. Why? We forget who we are. We forget what Christ did for us. We take our sin lightly. We neglect repentance. And the writer understands this completely. Look at the last line in verse 8. Do not utterly forsake me. You can almost feel the fear of God he has. He knows who God is. He knows he's not living up to God's standards. The only thing he could say is, if I could only be more stable, if I could only discipline myself to your word, fetter myself to your statutes, I can't do this on my own, Lord. I need you. Please do not utterly forsake me. Calvin says the four, this term forsake is susceptible of two interpretations, either that God withdraws his spirit or that he permits his people to be brought low by adversity as if he had forsaken them. Either way is not easy. We see in Romans 1 when God removes himself from people. And we see in Job where he allows his people to be going through adversity, to lose everything that they have, to be brought low as if he had forsaken them. So what about you sitting here? 
How high a priority is your study of God's Word? Is anxiety or adversity or trials keeping you from reading God's Word? Could it be you're allowing sin to linger in your life so that you have no desire to read God's Word? Are you neglecting to daily renew your mind? Paul says, I, re- appeal, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. There's that word again, perfect. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. If you're sitting here this morning and those words don't ring true in your life, I want to give you some things to think about. Number one, are you born again? Have you tasted and seen that God is good? We can't begin to understand the things of God unless we are sealed with his spirit. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper and to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with, with you and will be in you. The first thing you've got to do is be born again. The second thing you need to do, think about is read and, work, and know the word of God. Jeremiah 9, 23, 24 says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Do you know him? Have you been born again? Do you know what he says in his word? Do you study it? Do you meditate on it? A.W. Tozer said, The the Bible is not an end in itself, but a means to bring men to an intimate and satisfying knowledge of God, that they may enter into him, that they may delight in his presence, may taste and know the inner sweetness of the very God himself in the core and center of their hearts. So we, we, we must be born again. We must be sealed with the Holy Spirit, but we must be in His Word. Or we can never live the life that He has called us to live. The last thing I want, want you to think about is be obedient to the, to the Word. This is how you find true joy, true happiness, by walking in the light of God's word, allowing it to be the lamp to your path. Again, Tozer says, the word of God well understood and religiously obeyed is the shortest route to spiritual perfection. 
And we must not select a few passages of the, to the exclusion of others. Nothing less than a whole Bible can make a whole Christian. We need God's Word. And remember that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The only way we're going to be able to live this life that God has called us to live is to know who God is, to understand what he has called us to do. And the only way we can do that is to read his word, to meditate on it, to know that it is for our edification. Will we ever be completely blameless? No. This side of heaven, no. But we can begin to walk in his ways. Through Christ, our sins are forgiven. And we can be steadfast in keeping his statutes, laying all else aside, knowing that this is not our home. We need to understand what God's word says and do it. Let's pray. God, thank you again for your word, for your precepts that are right and point us to righteousness, for your love for us, for giving us your word so that we can live for you, so that we know when we have disobeyed you and we can come and repent. Lord, I pray that this morning if there is anyone here that doesn't know you, who doesn't have a relationship with you, Father, that you would grant them salvation this morning. That Christ would begin to rule in their hearts, that you would seal them with your Holy Spirit. And that they would begin to read your word. Not only just read it, Father, have us such a strong desire for it that it would be the first thing they want to do in the morning is to read your word. It's the last thing they want to do at night before they fall asleep is to read your word. And may, may you grant us all that desire. We all fall short, Father. But we praise you and we thank you that you have given us your word to teach us so that we can be complete. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.